Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy week, everybody. We are recording this on Monday, August 10 for release on the 17th. Brittany, how are you doing? I'm doing great. We're doing it again. Another week. Another week. <laughs> <laughs> Low bar. I'm so proud of us. I mean, we have done every week since the beginning of the year. Oh, you and me specifically every week. Oh, I thought yeah, you meant like saying. just in the world we we have made it to another week. We're we're still here. Well, that too. Yeah. That too. But no, I mean like here we are doing another podcast. Another podcast. I think this is 35. No, really? Yeah. And holy cow. I am quite sure by the time this releases, we will have hit 5,000 downloads. What? <gasps> Um, I'm going to flash forward to the day that we hit 5,000 downloads every episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Can't wait. (laughs) I said flash forward, but I didn't say how far. What year do you think it is when that happens? You know, I I love doing this podcast and it's so fun, but also to think about how long it's going to take us to scale to that point is a little daunting. Don't give up on me. I'm not Don't you dare give up on me. I am not going to give up on you. But hey, listeners out there, if you have friends who should listen to this, tell them. Help us get more downloads so we know that people are actually listening. And leave us a review because that always helps. Even better, listeners out there, if you happen to be a writer for a national publication and you would like to do an article about our (laughs) podcast... It's a very niche listener we're looking for. <laughs> They're out there. They're, they know who they are. They definitely do. <laughs> They're like, I work for National Publication, but it's like Horse and Hounds magazine. How hey. Are... We can do it. We can talk about horse nonprofits. Absolutely. Whatever publication you write for, I guarantee you we can find a nonprofit spin. Most certainly. So uh, hit us up, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Take us out, Brittany. <laughs> I'm saying we're hitting 5,000 downloads per episode then by 2021, the way we're going. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh my gosh. We crack ourselves up. <laughs> How was your weekend, Miss Nia? Um, it was both lovely and awful at the same time. So, uh, Saturday night was wonderful because you and some of our other friends and colleagues came over for a little, um, socially distant virtual gala viewing. There you go. You were the hostess with the mostest. Thank you so much. (laughs) It was fun. It was hot, but it was fun. Uh, but in preparation for that, I got stung by a wasp and I am an absolute child about getting stung. (laughs) And with good reason, because it's three days later and... I had to go to urgent care because my finger is still so freaking swollen that I can't bend it. And now I have to go on steroids. (laughs) 
Your text to me, okay, so for all the listeners out there that are wondering if Nia and I are in fact actually good friends, <laughs> which I think is hysterical that people ask that, because um, then that would make us really great actors. Yeah, I'm just not that this. good of an actress. <laughs> I'm not either. I'm not either. Um, Nia texted me in crisis when she got stung by this wasp. <laughs> And it was so hysterical. It was all caps. And it said, Brittany, I just got stung by something and I don't know how to not act like a six-year-old about it. <laughs> well, we have, we have motion sensor cameras in the front of our house. And I had to go from the backyard up to get through the garage. And so there's this camera of me going, (laughs) all by myself, because I'm also home alone while all this is happening. So it's not like I'm getting any sympathy from anybody by doing that. You absolutely need to post that on our socials, that video. I will not be. That is where I draw the line of embarrassment. (laughs) That's hysterical. Uh, How was your weekend? (laughs) Um, it was fantastic. Like you said, I you know, went over to your house on Saturday night, had a great time, excellent company. Um, there also happened to be an unplanned band playing <laughs> Three God. Doors Down. Oh, that was so loud. And I love how when I walked up to your house, I assumed it was you, that you were playing music in the backyard. And I thought, oh, how lively of her, you know, to <laughs> set the atmosphere and I was so surprised when you said, no, that's a live band. Like, those are actual people playing. Yeah. And then I love that your assertion was, well, I'll just I'll just go ask them to stop. And I was like, no, Brittany. <laughs> they, like, have amps. Like, somebody is performing right now. We can't ask them to stop so we can hear our gala on the screen. <laughs> right. They weren't, to be clear, they weren't just a band practicing. No. The, it was a performance that was happening, a private performance that was happening <laughs> like three houses down. Oh my gosh. It certainly added a, a level of levity to the entire situation. <laughs> it did. It was really fun. And then yesterday, um, I shampooed my carpets. hey And by I, I made my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Perks of a multi-generational household and having your dad live with you. He was so sweet. He's a, like, total perfectionist, and I was getting ready to do it, and he just looked at me and said, No, no. Do you want me to do it? (laughs) (laughs) What a dad move. I love it. I know. I know. Even at 41, I can, such a dad mood move, uh, yeah, it was great. And they look they look amazing. I mean, he was right. He did it so much better than I ever could have done it. So <laughs> Sounds like a very fulfilling weekend all around. It was. It was. So what are we talking about today to bring it back to the reason that we're here? Yeah. A nonprofit podcast. That's true. I do like that we just talk about our lives a little bit just in case anybody is wondering if you can have a life outside of nonprofits. Although, it's true. although half our weekend was about a nonprofit gala, so maybe you can't. <laughs> Anywho, so uh, this conversation comes from a listener, first off. Um, Brittany and I both know this woman. Shout out to Shauna. Um, she, she was kind of describing this, um, this need for vulnerability, specifically in fundraisers, but I think it, 
it really is across the nonprofit sector, um, especially in asking for what we need. And we thought Ooh. we would just explore that a little bit more, how nonprofits are both um, kind of reticent to ask for what they need, as well as their employees, and yet at the same time, very much need to do so. So before we get started, let's all take a moment and let's channel Brene Brown into the room <laughs> as we talk about vulnerability. Mm. I think it's great. And it was brought about um, because we were all talking as fundraisers, which I think is super important to have a network of colleagues that you can bounce ideas off of and get people's advice or opinions. And so that's what we were doing. And I am working with a nonprofit right now in kind of more of a coaching role, very small nonprofit, but it'd been around for a super long time. And at this nonprofit, they have one employee. This isn't a unique circumstance. Mm -hmm. One employee, one paid employee who works part-time. And they have a very, very small budget, very small budget that basically covers her salary and then an extra 10 grand. Mm. Um, and the nonprofit has been around for 41 years. I know that because they formed the year I was born and <laughs> makes it super easy. <laughs> and, um... And they get almost, well, I shouldn't say almost, they get their entire budget from individual donors. So they don't have any grants. They don't even do, I mean, those are indivi like actual individual donations, not even event mm. donations. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, how many people out there that use this nonprofit services actually know that she is the only paid employee and she's working 25 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And that if they knew that would maybe give more. Yep. And there's, I mean, this is not the first nonprofit that I've worked with that's structured like this. Really what they're wanting to do is ultimately scale, right? She can't do everything. She's the program director, the executive director, the development director, all in one at 25 hours a week while working and managing a 10-person board. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just incredible. She's a saint because I don't know how she's even doing it. She's super, obviously, super duper passionate about the mission because otherwise she wouldn't be doing that and putting herself through it. But what is our reluctance as nonprofits to state the obvious of what's happening? I mean, because we can't assume that donors know. And in this specific example, which I think is a great example, they are part of a larger national organization who's really well-funded and has celebrities as spokespeople. So as the lay donor they probably are like, oh, well, this is our local chapter of this national organization and they're funded through that national organization. And the truth is they don't receive a dime from the national organization. I actually, So how many, mis sorry, but just the question is, how many misconceptions are out there, you know? Yeah. I, I work with a number of Meals on Wheels programs, uh, which mm -hmm. have a very similar issue. 
because there is federal funding for Meals on Wheels, right? Like that was a big deal a few years back. President Trump was going to cut all of the Meals on Wheels funding. There was this big bash, backlash. But that was to the national Meals on Wheels. And a lot of that doesn't come down to local programs. You know, they have specific grant programs or they do, you know, affiliate-wide capacity building. Um, or somebody, I remember working with one of them and one of their donors being like, oh, I bought a Subaru and I told them to give the money to Meals on Wheels. Did you get that? And it's like, no, that, that goes to the national. <laughs> but yeah, like it, right? it's such a common, I think, thing, especially when you have local chapters, affiliates, et cetera, of these larger networks. Um, and for whatever reason, there does seem to be a reticence to just like call it out. Like that, right. it, it's not a bad thing to say, no, we don't get money from National Meals on Wheels. We are locally funded and that's why we need you. Well, and so, you know, I'm trying to work with her on building that in to all of her different programming and presentations that she does. She does um, support groups and presentations um, for you know, businesses. And, and I said, you know, you need to state that you need to say as the person doing, yes, they have a a pretty broad volunteer base that actually has taken quite a bit of a hit with COVID, Mm -hmm. but you need to say, I am the only paid person at this organization. It's otherwise all volunteer run. We rely a hundred percent on the support of individual community members And so if you feel like you gained something from this training or the support group or this presentation, please, you know, we, I ask that you help support us with a donation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think what you said earlier too is really important. You know, we often talk about kind of casting our vision for the future as our nonprofit, you know, what, what is going to happen because we are successful down the road, but we forget that we have to translate like the intermediary steps for donors. So yeah, we we want to end homelessness. Well, in order to do that, we need to scale up the staffing. We need to be able to buy this building. We need to do these things. That's how we're going to get to that big thing, but that's why we need big investment now. Right. And so that's where like getting really specific with our donors is actually helpful. We know donors are much more likely to give when we can be specific. Your thousand dollars does this, but for so many organizations there, there does seem to be like a a true reticence to have that kind of messaging that is that crystal clear about why their donation is needed now. And I think this ties into our episode a couple weeks ago um, about mergers and acquisitions right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like some of our organizations are struggling you need to be able to tell your donors that. It it doesn't always have to be a uh, throwback to our first episode, rosy Ooh. glasses, as yeah. you said. <laughs> rosy glasses. <laughs> but I, I think that's one of the issues is we, we always paint this picture of like everything's great, whether we're talking to funders, donors, et cetera, but you know, we, we've got it under control. Well, right now we don't. And we need to be able right. to tell our donors that, that if they aren't able to step up, we might not be here by the end of the year. Well, so that's what this woman is telling me. She is saying, I am, Brittany, I am afraid that if I leave, this chapter will collapse. Yeah. Like it will no longer be. And I'm thinking if that is honestly the case, people need to know that. Mm-hmm. People need to know 
where you're at. And if that means that you're not going to be able to continue without being able to scale, Mm -hmm. if you can't scale and being able to scale means being able to have enough money to hire somebody else. Cause we all know that she's doing a 40 plus hour job at a $25 or 25 hour a week pay. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So she deserves more money too, but they also need, you know, she needs help. Right. She needs somebody else. And so I just feel that if people kind of knew the exact situation that it would, especially now, I'm, I don't know, I'm being hopeful now with DAF holders having maybe kind of this renewed sense of, I need to be giving more now. We need to be giving more in this time that maybe they would increase their gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it makes me think about, um, were you in the initial interviews for your organizations to get SVP investment? No. Okay. Um, okay. So to fill everybody in then, <laughs> um, both Brittany and I worked for nonprofits when they were selected for our local social venture partners, um, SVP Boulder County for this intensive three year investment of time and money for capacity building. And it was such a unique process for me, at least, um, I was executive director of the organization when we went through that process and, you know, you've got you know, a pretty typical grant application, but then you do these interviews and then this assessment and so on and so forth. Um, and it was the first time that I felt like I, I needed to be truly honest with a funder about all the Uh things that were wrong and what was truly holding us back from scaling. Um, and it was so freeing. Like it it was the first time I felt like I was truly in partnership with a funder. Because I was sitting there saying, here's what's going on with my board and why we aren't able to move forward with them. Here's where my staff capacity is so limited that even though there is growth potential and there is a need, we can't meet it. Here, like, I'm just going to lay it all bare. And they were in a place to help with that, right? That's right. That's why you have to be so honest because they're looking for how they can plug in their partners to, to help with the capacity building. But if I think about interactions with other funders, other site visits, I have never, ever, ever been that open and honest because you don't want them to think that they're investing in something with, with all these problems. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's the game we have to play, right? Mm -hmm. We've talked about that, um, with writing grant applications too, or, or with, um, our budget, like how we position our budget. If you have too much of a deficit, it looks like you're not managing your funds well enough. But if you have too much money in reserves, it looks like you don't need their $5,000. Totally. Yeah. So here we are of like, well, we don't want to look like we're this struggling, flailing organization because I've always said like donors want to back a winning horse mm-hmm. to some extent, you know, they want to know that their money is going to go to a success. Yep. Um, but at the same time, particularly with an organization that's been around for 40 years, who has people who their services are, are so relevant right now. Mm-hmm. And so many people have benefited from them. I feel like people would step up if they knew that there was that big of a need. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to what you said earlier about, like, the game we play. 
let's be very clear that playing that game takes away time, energy, and resources away from the work we need to do. Oh, of course. Yeah. So every time that we are like wordsmithing that grant app to to put a positive spin on last year's awful deficit, to make our uh, continual staff turnover actually sound like it's about rejuvenation, that <laughs> that bullshit is not only bullshit coming out of our mouths, but oh, it means gosh. that we can't we can't actually work on the problems we need to solve, both internally and, you know, our larger, larger cause that we're trying to, to serve. So this, like, need for increased, I guess, transparency, vulnerability, is not only about being able to just be open and honest. It's about actually getting rid of the stuff that is taking time and energy away from the work that needs to be done. Amen. Absolutely. And, you know... I feel like I've really come into this this year, too, when speaking with donors, um, about being honest about not restricting their gift. Yes. Yes. Right? I mean, I've had a couple conversations with donors recently where I'm saying, look, I love that you have a a heart for this program of ours, this one program of ours, Um, and I want you know, you to support that, but I also want you to recognize that by supporting the entire organization and not restricting that gift, you are still supporting that program. Mm -hmm. And they've heard it and they've said, great. Um, but I think we need to be honest about that too. And it just, what made me think about it is when you said the other day, uh, or when you said earlier about, um, how we love to package things for donors, right? Like your thousand dollars does this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes we do that preemptively or that we do that to our own detriment. We, we restrict the gift before it's even restricted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm trying to kind of flip that script myself and have more open and honest conversations about donors of this is our need this is how it fits with what you're wanting to do. And at the same time, by restricting it, it doesn't help us as much as it could be if we had more flexibility. Yeah. So we've talked about vulnerability with our donors, um, but then there's also, or our funders, there's also vulnerability internally. Mm -hmm. And with our board members, uh, with our supervisors, our leadership, Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't think of, I can't even count how many times I've been sitting in a board meeting as a board member and felt like I'm being given a story. Mm -hmm. And I I recognize, like, this is is the larger cultural issue that we're talking about. But as a board member, I need to know, like, if shit's not going right, if we actually are serving half the kids we said we would, if our outcomes aren't where they are. If our budget is way off, like, you just need to tell me the real, real so we can work on it. But Yes, exactly. Again, I think this goes back to, like, that partnership thing. I think it's more common when there's distrust, when staff feel like they need to protect themselves, their team, whatever, from board members' peering eyes. They're more likely to give us a, a story instead of come to us and say, here are the actual problems. How can we work on this together? 
And when you're working in the sector day in and day out, just like you said, I mean, that's why you can hear the story because we're just so attuned to it, right? Totally. I mean, as soon as I talk to even just a colleague or a friend at a different organization and ask how things are going, I know immediately if they're giving me the company line versus telling me what's really going on. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And I I wonder... uh, you know, what all of this, um, it's not even political correctness, right? It's just kind of providing a more positive spin. Like, I wonder what that does to our psyche long-term. And we're all doing it right now in COVID. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. as our worlds are turned upside down, I do think on some levels it's providing more opportunity for vulnerability. I mean, I've seen it with the team that I work in, but I also think it creates yet another opportunity of rosy glasses. <laughs> well, and this is this too is where like that nonprofit competition comes into play, I think. Like, you know, how many emails have we gotten from nonprofits to be like, look at us pivoting in COVID and oh, we're, we're online, but we're doing our surfaces. We're fucking killing it out here. And I know that part of that is trying to be in comparison to other organizations. Yep. But sometimes like, you know, the email I would love to get from a nonprofit is one that says, yeah, we've pivoted online and it's really hard, right? Like our team is struggling to manage responsibilities of having their kids at home while working. And we are yes. all struggling with the impacts that this has had on our mental health. And we don't know what the school year is going to look like, but it's, it's a lot to handle. And at the same time, we're working to ensure that our services continue. Right. I would give them yes. as much money as I possibly could. <laughs> All of our <laughs> listeners out there, if you write that email, forward it to me and I will send a donation. <laughs> All of a sudden, our email is going to be hit up with appeals left and right. <laughs> <laughs> Adding the nonprofit reframe to their donor list. <laughs> it's true, though. I mean, I think it's scary. Because you want to look, you want to look competent and you want to look responsible and you want to look professional. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you know me, that's like my pet peeve. I just cannot stand it when we do things, not just in our sector, but I'm speaking just even like where I work, not like the place where I work now, but wherever I work, that's a pet peeve of mine of come on people, let's get it together. The right hand needs it to know what the left hand is doing so that we can look professional. But that's, I mean, let's talk about vulnerability that with everything pivoting so fast, that shit's not happening. Communication is even harder because you don't see people in the halls. You can't be like, oh, hey, by the way, just wanted to let you know that we decided that we're going to do this event on this day instead, and yada, yada, yada. So you're having to communicate twice as much with everybody being remote, and everything's changing so fast. And so many times you're left in a position where something's changed and you don't know about it, and it's being communicated incorrectly to your public or to a supporter or whomever. Mm -hmm. And that shit drives me crazy. Yeah. Actually, that is... I think I've had multiple conversations already this month about that exact issue. Like I was talking to a development director and she was like, I, I had gotten their newsletter and was asking about this program that I just heard about. Thought it was really cool. She was like, what program? What are you talking about? 
And of course, she's like the prime communications person. And yet this went out without her even knowing. Exactly. And this, yeah, I, I mean, it's such a, such a big problem. But I think this also goes to, you know, we have all of these kind of unwritten rules that we're talking about right now, like how we, how we talk about our work, how we make things a bit more positive with a spin. How hard is it then for somebody to enter into fundraising because of that? You know, we, we always talk about how hard it is for board members to step up and fundraise. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're walking into this environment where there are all these expectations that nobody's actually talking about and you can't, you can't find them in a book and at the same time they require such nuance, of course it's going to be really hard to become successful in any kind of fundraising position. We're setting them yeah. up to fail again. Yeah. Bringing it full circle. Back to turnover. Back to fucking turnover. <laughs> yeah, I know. What about vulnerability with your boss? Don't you have a, a story about that? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So the pitfalls of vulnerability sometimes? I, I, I as a supervisor, as an employee, really value honesty and would rather just have the conversation, whatever it is. And, uh, I was a development director. I was really burned out. And so I went to my boss and I said, Hey, I gotta, I gotta back down to 40 hours a week to be clear back down to 40 hours a week. I was clearly working 60, 80, you know, whatever. Yep. And she was not happy with me. She got really mad, um, because I wasn't committed to the mission, to the organization. And, uh, there, she lashed out at me for a number of months because of that. That's such bullshit. I had the same thing happen to me. I actually uh, was working somewhere, had been there for a little over a year, had been promoted, and then had a baby. And came back from having my baby, first baby, and it was, I was working over an hour from where I lived. And so, um, and had to take a really busy freeway. So sometimes I get caught in traffic on the way home. Sometimes it would take me an hour and a half, two hours to get home. And so I went to my boss and I said, look, you know, I, I really loved my job. I mean, I really, really do. I think about that job a lot. Mm -hmm. I really loved it. Um, but I just couldn't handle having a three month old that I was over an hour away from every day. And it didn't make sense to find a daycare closer to where I worked because it, that would have been further from where my husband was. Um, and I said, look, I'm committed to being here. I just need some flexibility. I just need a little bit of flexibility right now as I'm trying to figure this out. So whether that's scaling back hours or working from home a couple days or whatever it is. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? I need you to step up. Mm -hmm. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, I'm really looking at you. And it, it was all supposedly coming from a good place of like, I need you to step up. I need you to take more responsibility. I really would like to kind of groom you as my successor if I'm to leave. And so kind of like playing to my ego a little bit. But I was not in a place to hear any of that. I mean, I would have been happy to do that if I had just been given a little bit more time to figure my situation out. So I left. Yeah. And when I came back and told her that I was leaving, 
She was so mad. <laughs> so mad. Um, and it, it really soured our relationship and um, soured our relationship and just my whole experience of working there, which sucked because I, I really respected her and considered her to be um, a mentor mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes vulnerability comes at a price. Yeah. And I get it. Well, and but I mean, but I mean, I guess the the bright side of that is at least I knew, right? Mm-hmm. At least I knew what her expectation was, and I could make the choice about whether or not I wanted to meet it. That's exactly what I was going to say, right? Like if you hadn't been open and honest and asked for what you needed, you you would have just continued to struggle, probably burnt out, probably left anyway. But because you were able to go to her, she she had that reaction, then you can make an informed decision about your future with your organization. Yeah. So do you have an example of where you've been vulnerable and it went in a positive direction? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, okay. So I was executive director of an organization. At the time, I had a really awful board, just like super toxic, really, really, really awful. Um, but I had a few... I guess you'd call them allies on the board. You know, the folks who would text me after a meeting to be like, you doing okay? That was really hard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which, by the way, if you're that board member for thank your you. organization, yeah, thank you. Like, seriously, that is what kept me through. Um, and I had one guy, he he rolled off soon after I joined the organization because um, they had finally put term limits into place. But he stayed on the finance committee. And he was, he was just amazing. Um, and so I would... I remember calling him one day after a really awful board member board meeting. It was around budget. So I also felt like I could call him because he was on the finance committee about that. Um, and as soon as I heard his voice, I just started crying, just crying and crying. Mm. And he was like, okay, meet me at this bar in 30 minutes. We'll talk about it. Mm. And so it was great. I mean, genuinely, like the only reason I survived that job was because I had a few people like that who would take the time to meet with me, who I could be honest with, who I could just yeah. say, like, this is exactly what's going on. Here's what I think we can do if we get past this. Here's the amazingness this organization's capable of. And we have these massive barriers. So, um, you know, it wasn't to a place where I could say that to the entire board. Absolutely not. But I had a few people who would have my back. Um, and we worked together to, to change the culture and to also get some of the folks moved on who were just not contributing to the way the organization needed to go. Um, and so I, I built up a little coalition and we, we changed the world together. Look at you. <laughs> I mean, that was a bit of an overstatement, but I mean, I think. I love it. I mean, you ended that strong. <laughs> and you know what? We changed the world. End of story. <laughs> but it, it, it goes to show, I think, that, you know, again, asking for what you need, being vulnerable at the right place, at the right time with the right people can yeah. bring about true change. I agree. I agree. Yep. And I've done that, too, when I've left organizations and just being really honest and vulnerable about why I was leaving and um, and left it open for a conversation, Mm -hmm. you know? So it wasn't just like, Hey, I'm leaving. Here's my two weeks, whatever. Um, and really was able to maintain 
lifelong friendships, partnerships with organizations because of it made the transition so much smoother than I ever could have guessed um, was possible. And, you know, I think those are hard ones too when you go to leave. And even if it's a place that you love, but it's just your time, Mm -hmm. you just know that you're meant to go somewhere else and take that next step in your career. And I think... People are so worried. I mean, every place that I've ever worked at as a nonprofit, I've never said this out loud before, and I'm so curious if you feel this way and if this is the way everybody feels or if it's just part of the sector or every place I've ever felt or I've ever worked at when I have gone to leave, even in that, you know, situation when after I've had a baby, there's such an innate sense of responsibility to that organization that I feel like I'm terrified of telling them and I feel like I'm letting them down. Yep. A hundred percent. Really? Yes. A hundred percent. Yep. Do you think people in the for-profit think that? I don't know. If there's anybody out there who works in a for-profit listening to this podcast, seriously, I, I would love to know. I mean, I'm sure there's some, right? Yeah. And... But I do think that part of that is because, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, that, you know, particularly, particularly, there we go, working for these small nonprofits where your team is super tight-knit, that's what's so hard. And I'm sure there's people who work in for-profit companies that are that small and that tight-knit, but I think about the big giant companies, mm. you know, and if people really care about giving their notice, they're just like, peace out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think about all the conversations I had to have to, like, get to that point, like calling the program director. Are you going to be okay if I leave? We can work together to, like, make sure all this transitions smoothly. Talking to all my, the people who reported to me. I mean, like, it's it's such a process. And it goes back to we're wearing so many hats, Right. Right. And so, you feel like you're leaving so many different gaping holes, not just one. Exactly. Yeah. And then how about how we tend to go above and beyond in supporting those organizations when we leave, even after we leave? Oh, my God. I mean, I just I just hired someone, and she's still doing work for the old organization that she left. And because I've done that a million times, and I appreciate her even wanting to do that, I said, yeah, absolutely, you can do that. Um, but I don't think that normally happens either. I had a friend uh, leave a super, super toxic boss at a nonprofit, and she agreed to stay on to do contract work after she had got on with a new organization that, like, checked all of her boxes, like, a n- new amazing boss. And I kept being like, why? <laughs> why do we do this why? to ourselves? But, yeah, at the same time, like, I've totally done it myself, too. <laughs> A million times I have. Sure, I'll still work 10 hours a week for you to help you find the next replacement or I don't know. Anyway, what were we talking about today? What what are our takeaways? Vulnerability. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, so what are our takeaways? Um, I think nonprofits need to ask for what they need. Tell their donors what's going on. Uh, be more honest with funders and um, in, in your grant applications. And I think if, as a sector, we all commit to do that um, and to be more open and honest, 
it will cause a, enough of a seat change where funders are expecting that. And we don't have to throw a positive spin on everything. And a call to all of you nonprofit professionals who are listening to do the same internally, to ask for what you need, to uh, not be afraid to shy away from that. And yeah, it's super scary. And sometimes it doesn't, the result is not maybe what you expected, but ultimately, like in my story and in yours, I think it at least brought clarity to a relationship that made it easier to make the decision I needed to make. Absolutely. Yep. All right. So if you have stories to share because you're tired of hearing of ours, please send them to nonprofitreframe at gmail.com or you can send it to us on socials. We're on Instagram and Facebook, Nonprofit Reframe. And if you have the capacity right now, now is the time to step up, support your local nonprofits. Please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com. And Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.